The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Boreham, and today we're talking about the ongoing fight against cancer. Now, most listeners by now would have heard of immune oncology, which was pretty much unknown a decade ago, but has progressed in leaps and bounds as an alternative to chemotherapy. One of the more recent therapies being developed is called CAR-T, which in effect tricks up the body's T-cells to fight the good fight. But even the face of CAR-T is rapidly changing, and I've got Stephen Yatomi Clark with me to tell me why. Uh, Stephen heads the uh, ASX-listed Prescient Therapeutics, uh, which has just uh, raised, uh, recently raised uh, around about $6 million of uh, fresh capital to uh, pursue its programs. Uh, so uh, welcome, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. No problems. Now, Steve, uh, we, we last spoke to each other um, at the uh, Biotech conference uh, in, in October last year, but uh, a lot has changed for the company since then, hasn't it? My word, it has. Yeah, if, um, if listeners haven't been following us since then, they may not recognise us now. Yeah, we've, we've had lots going on. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, now, you're, broadly speaking, you're, you're in the area of uh, targeted uh, thera- therapies, therapeutics. Um, can, can you tell us more about what that uh, really means? Sure. I think, well, b- broadly speaking, the thematic is, and I'd probably change the definition to personalised medicines, and they're broadly the same. Uh, I think gone forever are the days of treating every cancer is the same. You know, not two, you know, no two people are the same, and nor are there cancers, and they shouldn't be treated as such. So I think we're seeing the beginning of the end of indiscriminate um, medicines to fight cancer, and by that I really mean things like chemotherapy, which are awful, awful um, agents really it's poison and what we're looking to do now is based on the actual you know molecular drivers of someone's cancer you look to switch those off so looking to really hone in on a, a patient's particular drivers of cancer yeah okay now you've kind of uh, pivoted, if I could use that uh, fairly dreadful term, haven't you? Because you had uh, you you had two programs, uh, PTX one hundred and PTX two hundred. Um, so, just uh, if you could uh, perhaps uh, tell us about those. To start yeah, off. sure thing, sure thing. Um, so, well, I think the first thing I'd say is that we've got um, an expanded pipeline. I wouldn't necessarily say we've pivoted as such, but we're building on our foundational assets, which were PTX 100 and 200, and moving into cellular therapies. But to answer your question, uh, PTX 100 and 200, the foundational assets of the uh, of the company, they are targeted therapies that drive, as I mentioned in you know, just recently, the uh, drivers of particular pathways. The thing about 
you know, healthy, healthy cells know when to start growing, they know when to stop growing, and they also know when to commit suicide and let a healthy cell take over. And those yes. switches go on and on as, as required. The problem is some of these really intricate circuits sometimes mutate, and some of those result in these growth switches just staying switched on, and they don't know when to switch off, and that's the definition of cancer. It's like having a stuck accelerator pedal, if you like. And what these two assets do, they focus on different types of circuits. And what we do is we unstick the accelerator pedal and apply the brake and kill the cancer cell. So looking at these switches that do, you know, that don't tell the, um, that prevent a stop signal being sent to these cancer cells. So that's what they're there in clinical stage studies. PTX 100, they're focused on a switch called RAS. PTX200 is focused on a switch called AKT. I won't go into the science of those, but suffice to say they're quite distinct pathways and they're very important in cancer. They cause cancer. They cause resistance to therapies. Um, people have been trying to conquer these switches for quite some time. There are no approved drugs against these switches yet. And they're in... Um, they're in um, uh, clinical stage studies right now and uh, it's very exciting times for them yeah okay but it's fair to say they didn't quite capture investor interest uh, despite being very promising yeah i think it's it's part art and part science isn't it, it was what's going to you know strike the interest of australian investors the, the american mm. investors got it straight away straight away um they they really like them i think what i was grappling with in the early days when I took over at Prescient is so many people thinking that as small molecule agents that these were chemotherapies and nothing could be further from the truth. They're not chemotherapies at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think it's probably not unreasonable to say the assets in the early days had a little bit of an identity crisis. <laughs> but, you know, it takes, it takes a little while to educate people on what targeted therapies are and, and how they work and how they're different from conventional therapy. Mm, mm, okay. Um, but, uh, then, then since then, you've introduced uh, the uh, the CAR T uh, program um, uh, called Omnicar. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so, how did you get onto that one? Or, or, or perhaps you should uh, should should tell us about uh, about uh, the mechanism of uh, of action of, of CAR T. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we started getting our knowledge of targeted therapies led us to. Um, different applications of some of these technologies with something called cell therapies. And cell therapies is exactly, as the name suggests, using living cells as a medicine, which is a really interesting angle. And really the cutting edge of that is something called CAR-T. Uh, it stands for chimeric antigen receptor uh, for T cells. Basically, the T cells are the frontline soldiers of our immune system. You know, when you get a cold, you feel your you feel the, your lymph glands in your throat starting to swell. You know what I mean? They get a little bit sore. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they swell up for a few days. Well, that is because your, your your body is producing a whole bunch of new soldiers to fight this infection that it's just encountered. So they're producing a bunch of T cells, basically, to, to soldiers to fight this foreign invader. And T cells are the ultimate, you know, sort of fighting machines of your immune system. They're the front line. And they, you know, what they do is they identify little proteins on the surface of an infected cell, um, a foreign invader, and you, like a lock and key, those little receptors um, bind to these things, activate and tear them apart. 
So they're really good at they're really good at fighting infection. You're probably wondering, do they fight cancer? Well, the answer is yes, they do. And you and I can be sitting here now, and God forbid, we might have one or two cancerous cells, and if they're expressing a protein on the surface that our T cells recognize, our T cells are really good at picking those up and eliminating, and we'll never know about it. It's like autocorrect. Yes. Um, but the problem is that cancer being the, the, the tricky beast that it is, um, the patients who end up presenting at, at, you know, to doctor's offices with cancer have done so because their cancer has changed that protein and by doing so have avoided the surveillance of these T cells. So these T cells, if you like, have lost their ability to sniff out these little proteins and therefore don't kill them. And you actually see pictures of them. They they actually bounce into and around these cancer cells and don't recognise them. They're completely blind to them. Yeah, so, so CAR T sounds like it's really sort of about turning turning poodles into a, attack dogs. Exactly. It's about putting a new nose on yeah. that cell. So it's 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 basically what happens. It's it's a landmark in human medicine. They're not my words. They're they're the words of um, observers in the industry. But um, and it and it's because you're weaponizing these patients' own cells against the cancer. So it works like this: a patient will go to the hospital, the cancer patient. They will have blood taken out, and their T cells are separated from that, you know, from the plasma. So they take out the T cells, and these are the little docile T cells that you know just bump into the cancer and don't recognise it. And what we do is we genetically introduce a receptor onto that T cell to put basically a new nose on it. We're saying this is what you need to sniff out now, and we it, it's now trained to attach to a cancer antigen. So basically, it's a retrained version of the patient's own cells and these millions of these are grown up outside of the lab and then they're infused back into the patient and the patient now has turbocharged versions of its own cells that are now capable of um, recognizing and killing the cancer cells so it is you know t-cells are the ultimate fighting machines and you're now turning it against the patient's own cancer yeah, okay. But I take it um, with the the uh, first generation uh, CAR-T uh, products, uh, there, there, there's sort of a problem in that uh, once the cells are introduced into the body, the clinician can't really uh, control what they do and, no. and the cancers might, might mutate. So so suddenly the, the target you, you, you're chasing has changed. And, and I take it that your Omnicar kind of addresses this. Yeah, exactly. Like any first-generation technology, as amazing as it is, there are there are problems, and and, and that's fantastic for patients, right? As wonderful as CAR T is, this is as bad as it'll get. So, it's extremely promising. And you remember back, you know, some of our listeners might remember how VHS tapes just changed um, <laughs> changed the whole way we look at movies. You didn't have to pay money to go to a cinema. Um, you could get them at home and you could record things off TV. And and how do we view VHS now? As paradigm changing as it was, um, it doesn't. no one would even have a video player now. So what we're about is really taking that groundbreaking technology and addressing all of the shortcomings. And you mentioned a, a few of them. These are living medicines, living cells that they're giving. So once you once you inject a living cell into a patient, you've got no control. You just have to cross your fingers and pray that the patient doesn't have 
an adverse event. And, you know, when you're giving a whole bunch of turbocharged cells to a very sick patient, some of these patients have died from massive inflammation. Um, and there's just no control. So to even receive the therapy, your patient just has to be in, in, in an intensive care unit. Um, with Omnicar, the, the real, the magic around Omnicar is the ability to um, modularize the CAR T, which gives it control and flexibility. So you can you can titrate it up, so you can get progressive activity post infusion. You can switch it off if there's a deleterious event. So just from a safety perspective alone, we expect this to be a massive, massive uh, opportunity for the whole sector, not just for prescient. So. Um, that is going to enable this groundbreaking therapy not only to be safer for patients, but by doing so is going to open up applications to patients who aren't quite as desperate. At, at the moment, you know, people are happy to take the risk because they're dying of cancer, Tim. But yes. you can imagine if you can treat someone earlier saying, look, um, you don't have to risk your life to take this therapy, um, that would be fantastic. And it opens up even non-cancer applications for this so, you know, where you couldn't otherwise justify, um, you know, such a dangerous therapy, um, if you can make this, if you can get all the benefits of this therapy with, without the, um, the safety concerns, that, that just changes, changes everything. So, so that feature alone of Omnicar is really relevant and really promising. Um, but it addresses a number of other things as well that you touched on. You know, I think one of the key chinks in the armour of CAR-T is... Um, Okay, if the tumor mutates again, uh, what happens to the CAR T? Its 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 nose is once again useless; it can't sniff it out. So, we've got the ability, because of this modularity, to to redirect the the T cell um, just by switching out that little nose component of the T cell. So, you know, if a tumor happens to mutate, guess what? We can just switch out the nose and and um, chase it out and kill it again. Um, and we can also put several noses on it all at once, if you like, so it can target many different types of um, proteins on the cancer, which is going to be really important in conquering solid tumours. Mm, mm. At what stage of development are you, are you at in, in, in developing the, these new, new noses, so to speak? Yeah, sure, sure. So Omnicar is in preclinical development. Um, we licensed the core technology from University of Pennsylvania, which is um, an Ivy League uni in the in the US who they basically were the pioneers that they, they were the founding fathers of CAR-T and remain the world leaders. Um, so we're absolutely honoured to be um, custodians of, of this technology. This is, they recognise the same problems that we just discussed um, just earlier. And, you know, it was a big multidisciplinary effort to, between their cell biologists and their protein engineers to come up with this next generation technology. Um, so yeah, it's preclinical. It's got really good proof of concept, um, and basically we're now undertaking a strategic review to work out well what direction should we be taking this in house, as in prescient will undertake it ourselves, and which should we be looking to do externally with collaborators and licensees. Mm, okay, and, and how did you find uh, the technology in the first place? Um, I mean, I guess the question is, you know, if it, if it's so good, you know, why hasn't a big player like say no, Novartis uh, uh, beat, beaten you yeah. uh, to, to 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 a licensing deal with uh, with Penn? Yeah, it's not a bad yarn actually. Um, there was a whole flurry of um, interest and in, uh, activity around CAR T 
2017, 2018, when that first generation hit, you know, that people think, oh, my God, this is, this is, you know, you've got curative potential here. This is, we've never seen these sorts of responses. And there was this, all of this deal activity um, around this one particular target that people were looking at, which, which, which made it relevant for a, a certain subset of blood cancers called B-cell uh, malignancies. Um, and like any crowded, like any new technology, it became a crowded play. And then from about mid-2018 onwards, I think a lot of pharma companies were sitting on the fence thinking, okay, this is groundbreaking, but is it only relevant for this target? Is it only relevant for B-cell cancers? And I think people were sitting on this fence waiting to see this way would go. Um, during that time, I knew that whoever could come up with some solutions to the problems we've just discussed would not only be creating a next generation for themselves, but they'd be opening up the whole sector. So I was actively looking for solutions in this, especially 2019, and I scoured the world for it. We've, we've got good contacts into so many, you know, corporates and, and, and you know, first-class institutes around the world, which is wonderful. And, you know, one of the places I went to naturally was the home of CAR-T, which was Penn. And I saw some interesting things there, but they were very specific types of constructs. They weren't, weren't looking to solve the problems I was looking at. And in speaking to one of the uh, investigators there, I came across, he said, well, if you're looking at this, have you, have you thought about this technology? And at that stage, it wasn't public. The patent wasn't public. The scientific paper wasn't public. So basically, no one knew about it. I saw it. I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought this is exactly what is going to help solve the problem. And I took it off the market. This was by then. That was maybe October, November, while we conducted due diligence. Um, it was a you know it was a pretty intense period of negotiation and discussion. It was almost like a, an adoption interview. And um, I think they appreciated our independence and the fact that we were going to treat this like a, a genuine platform uh, and and develop it as such. And uh, yeah, we won their confidence and um, we were able to secure it. In the meantime, by December, the big annual blood cancer conference occurred uh, and a, a couple of companies like Johnson & Johnson presented data outside of those at that one target and outside of you know these b-cell cancers and a lot of people just jumped off the fence they said okay there is application here beyond these so i think um if i had awaited a couple more months we might not have gotten it tim but it was um just being proactive and and, and audacious is, is is how we got it mm, yeah yeah you uh, snuck under the uh the radar um yeah, yeah. now you you, you mentioned uh earlier on that uh, American investors uh, uh, get it um, yeah. in terms of the technology, uh, which implies that, that, that Australian investors, you know, are, are maybe sort of, sort of harder to, to, to convince. So, so, so what's it like sort of therefore developing drugs in Australia? I mean, is it, uh, well, I, I, ideally, would you be uh, located in the US and, 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 and not here? Or are you sort of happy to fly well, the patriotic flag still? Oh, I'm, I'm a patriot, believe me. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but uh, prescience a unique type of beast. I mean, I'm I'm geographically agnostic. I look for the best technology and the best people, regardless of their of 
their geography. And it just so happens that we've got these technologies from the US. We've got Yale, we've got the Moffitt Cancer Center. Now we've got University of Pennsylvania and Oxford University. Um, and as a result, the um, our foundational science team and clinical team are basically based in the US. So we've, from our inception, I think we've effectively been a US-Australian company. Um, but I think where you're getting to is, you know, where where the money is. Um, in our last round of fundraising, we actually um, attracted um, four uh, US life science fund managers onto our register, who normally have no business being in a small company. But that was that was fantastic. But um, yeah, so that was the thin edge of the wedge. I hope to to bigger and better things. And that was before they even knew about Omnicar and our work in cell therapies. So. Um, I was just on the phone with one of them just an hour before before this chat. So, um, you know, people are watching us and um, impressed with what we're doing. Um, it's just a, a matter of differences and zeros, I think. But they've certainly got the the bandwidth to. They've just got the breadth and depth of knowledge um, in the in their capital markets to be able to analyze and value these technologies. Like, it's not unusual for me to be sitting in an office of a fund manager over there and i've got a uh, you know a guy who's uh, an md phd who's focused on one particular cancer pathway and the guy sitting next to him is a, a former clinician at memorial sloan kettering and th these are the people making investment decisions over there it's it's um it's just a whole new level of, of diligence yeah okay and so so given that what's the company's uh, end game i i presume it's sort of the approach of adding value with uh, uh, further trials and, and, and data, um, but uh, seeking that uh, elusive uh, commercial partnership. Yeah, I, th I think that's probably right. I mean, a small company, you've got to, you've got to know your limitations whilst you're still growing. Um, I don't think we are geared up now to do a 400 patient phase three study, um, but I think our business model to this point in time has been develop a program to clinical prove a concept and look to partner. And there's nothing unique about that, right? That's basically you know, every single company in Australia and you know probably 80% of them in the US for that matter. Um, and, and we're no different there. And that's basically where, for, for the benefit of the listeners, you develop it to a point in time where people see that there's a signal there and it, if it fits in with the types of products that they're after, a big brother or a big sister will say, we'll take it from here. And um, they really invest in that sort of last mile, which is very expensive. And in return, companies get sort of, you know, my, you know upfront milestone payments and trailing royalties and whatnot. And we're no different. I think the difference with um, Omnicar, it almost has its own unique business model because it's a genuine platform that, you know, we'll be carrying on some things in-house to create next generation CAR-T. But really, Tim, this is about lighting as many fires as possible externally. Um, anyone, yes. anyone out there wanting who, who are in the field of CAR T or cell therapy, and they want to make their programs safer, they want to make them more controllable, they want to make them more flexible. Uh, they they should be talking to us, and so that that is going to bring around. I think a lot of opportunities for collaboration and licensing. Look, these won't happen overnight. I don't want to mislead no, people, no. but but what I what I want to emphasise is that it really is a scalable business model. Um, we can 
we can license this out to people who are in absolutely no competition with us and really reap the benefits of um, their validation um, of our balance sheet with the potential for licensing income. So I guess it moves away from that sort of linear drug development type of business model um, and moves us a little bit more laterally as well. So it, it's probably a bit of a hybrid business model at Prescient, but I think it sort of brings that MPV a little bit more forward with a platform. Hmm. Okay, terrific. Well, um, I hope your uh, phone therefore uh, starts uh, running running hot. Um, that's uh, that, that, that's great, Steve. And um, uh, yeah, uh, good luck with um, uh, turning those uh, poodle cells into uh, rottweilers in the uh, <laughs> ongoing fight against cancer. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully, this is the beginning of the end. And wouldn't it be nice that you know? By the time you've got the grandkids bouncing on your knee, people just aren't afraid of cancer diagnosis anymore, and it's something that we can yes. we can uh, treat uh, like we would you know many other afflictions now. So hopefully this is the beginning of the end. And you know what? In my heart, I think um, you know cells are the problem, and cells will be the answer. You know, cancer can go anywhere. T cells can find them anywhere. I think it is hopefully the beginning of the end. Yep. Well, he's hoping that uh, yes, ca cancer becomes uh, eminently treatable and, and, and not something to be uh, feared so much. Uh, it, it's certainly a, uh, a lofty ambition. Um, so great to talk, and uh, look forward to talking again uh, in, in the near future. Any time, mate. Many thanks for your time. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Steve.